Hello, I am Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Mail Plus. I am joined this week as every week by my friend and mm-hmm. co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones. And this week mm-hmm. we're going to be doing the supernatural. Supernatural? Supernatural. We're going to be exploring ghosts mm-hmm. and how connections with our loved ones can be everlasting. And we're going to be joined by friend of the show, Santa Montefiore, mm-hmm. who wrote a brilliant piece in the Daily Mail about seeing her dead sister, Tara yes. Palmer Tompkinson. Have you seen spirits? I have seen spirits, yes, I have. But I've trained at the London College of Psychic Studies, as I you know. know. You are a highly trained I am psychic. a trained spiritualist. No, I'm, I'm actually rubbish at it, but I have spent five years going to spook school. Yes, yeah, spook as, school. As I call it, which is basically the adult Hogwarts. Yes. Which I've really enjoyed, actually. What have you done? You did a course on scrying, I Scrying, a crystal ball reading. I've yes. done that, yes. I've done... Tea leaves. Tassimancy. What's The tea leaf reading. Is tea leaves a natural course or is yes. it just a module? Well, it's a module <laughs> of the course. Don't ridicule my psychic abilities. <laughs> I am very good. You did persuade me at one point to come and do a mm. palmistry course and I think I lasted one lesson. You got bored. I got bored and a little bit sceptical. Yes, and also you weren't top of the class, so no, you found it too no, hard. No, and no. I know, I know what you're like. You have to be the best. And sadly, there were some people who had been doing it for a few more, you're literally laughing now, for a few <laughs> more years than you, and you were quite skilled at, I know, at finding the lifeline. And also, he gave us homework, and I was like, I don't I want know. homework. You just wanted to have a glass of wine. I did. That yeah. was all I really wanted to do. And I think I turned up late for a class. Oh, yes, you were late. And I got into lots of trouble You were told that. off. I was told off. I don't like being told off. No, you were told off, mm. and you were made to sit at the back of the class. Yes. And it was in a basement. Yes. And you got cross. And it was raining. Yes. Exactly. Yes. But I have done many courses mm. there and I actually I th- find it very interesting. What was the best one you ever did there? The mediumship course, mm. which I did. My favourite line of the whole thing was, let's just open the door and see who comes in. So he opened the door at the back of the class and of course nobody physically walked in. He went, welcome. <laughs> and I was thinking, oh my God, Hi. <laughs> Anyway, we're not laughing about it. No, we're not. No. I think Hogwarts for grown-ups, though, is a very good description. <laughs> it is Hogwarts for grown-ups. Yes. It's good fun. And then you wrote a book called The Witches. So it was I all did. research, really. It was research, it yes, was obviously. Yes, yes. Anyway, our first guest this week is Santa Montefiore, who has written about her belief in the spirits or ghosts hmm. that surround us at all times. In fact, a very brilliant piece that you did in the Daily Mail, which you can all go and read if you want to. Yes. And of a family connection which transcends the physical world. And she joins us now. So Santa, thank you for coming in. I loved your piece. It was all about how after your sister Tara Palmer Thompson died, she came and visited you and sat on the end of your bed in a T-shirt. Tell us the story. It's yeah. a brilliant story. Um, well, in a nutshell, she died in February and having seen spirits all my life, I assumed that she would come through immediately. In fact, weirdly, the night she died, I was woken up in the middle of the night at about one in the morning and in the bathroom, a picture fell off the wall and shattered onto the stones, but the hook was still on the back of the picture and the nail was still in the wall. And downstairs in my husband's office, a chandelier crashed. It was like this whirlwind of energy rattled through the house and we thought it had been an earthquake. So in the morning we were talking about it and wanted to ask the neighbours whether they'd had that. And because we didn't know exactly the time of her death, but when I went to her house and I could see that her cardio delivery had come on that afternoon and that she'd emailed her cleaner to say, don't come in tomorrow, I'm really sick. And then about half an hour after that final email was sent, 
we had this sort of whirlwind rattling through the house. Gosh. I believe Gosh. that, yes, I believe that her... She was trying to tell she you She was trying to gone. tell us. Well, I think she was earthbound. I think she was stuck. Mm. And she'd come out of her body. She didn't know where she was. She was panicked. She thought of me. And without our physical bodies, you move by thought. So mm. the thought brought her to me. She rattled through my house. I believe then she moved on into spirit. But that was quite something. But anyway, so I expected her to come through to me. And then months went by. And it wasn't until July that I was disturbed in the middle of the night. And I just have to say that ghosts don't come out at night. They're around us all the time. It's a bit like stars. You can't see them in the day, but at night they're there. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're not there. It's just when your conscious mind is in beta, which is what we're in during the day, mm. we're awake, mm. you don't tune into that level of vibration. Most people, if they do sense spirits, sense them at night when their brainwaves go to alpha, and it's gamma, quiet, yeah. theta, and then you, you're disturbed on that sort of subconscious level, and that's when I see spirits anyway. Mm. So I always say I see them at night, but it's not because they come out at night, mm. it's just that's how I perceive them. And there she was sitting beside my bed, leaning forward, and it felt like she was going, Santa, 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 Santa. And she was in a baby pink T-shirt. And after having had about, you know, probably about 15 minutes, it might have even been two minutes, you know, that mm. time, I don't know. But I had this amazing sense of joy, love, mischief. It was like she was a teenager again, when yeah. she was 18 again. And it was really extraordinary and really exciting because after she died, I, you know, she she had a troubled life. And yeah. when she died, yes, she was okay, but, you know, she wasn't in a great place. And this spirit that appeared to me was in a really, really was sort of her before all her the bad before stuff before all happened. the bad stuff, yeah. before mm. the drugs, before the alcohol, before all that. Mm. And she was herself again, the sort of young person that I knew and loved, and it was really magical. And she was wearing this baby pink T-shirt that I don't actually remember her having a baby pink T-shirt. But when I called my mother in the morning and told her, she said, we buried her in a baby pink t-shirt. And no one knew. She so never told sign, us. Do you think? Well, she came through, in, yeah. Yes, in my experience, when I see them, they give you some sort of evidence mm. that when you wake up or come out of your meditation afterwards, it's, okay, I didn't make it up. Mm. I couldn't have known that. And that seems to be quite consistent. I think she projected herself in that pink t-shirt for my mother so that she would know. Yes. Because my mother's sort of cynical or sceptical, rather. Now she's much more open to it, of course. But Tara would know that I knew she was there. Mm. So it wasn't for me it was definitely for my mother and were you alone in your room at the time or was your husband my there with husband you my husband was sleeping and right. <laughs> yes sleeping did, and did he not notice a shift in energy or did he he slept he slept all the way through he so slept. he didn't feel it at all he slept he slept he was oblivious right yeah he was oblivious and then the I've next seen morning. her I've seen her oh I carried this energy with me I had it for about a week I had right. that feeling with me this wonderful sort of energy the whole time but a month later I was in Utah Tara went into rehab at the Meadows in Arizona she had a little bit of a spiritual moment there which I feel was she was at a crossroads she could have gone that way but when she came back she chose to unfortunately go the other way mm. and then her life sort of picked up in a way from where it left off but she did have a little window there of an awakening but it wasn't followed up when she got back to the UK. So I think she had a connection with that part of the world. And when I was driving with Seabag and the children to this hotel in the middle of the desert, I heard this voice in my head going, Santa, 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 like a broken record. And I didn't really think anything of it. Now with hindsight, I know exactly what it was. But we got to the hotel and I just had the desire to go up onto these Mesa mountains and just meditate. 
And I was feeling emotional anyway. It wasn't, you know, she died in March but or February, but I really missed her and I mm. thought about her all the time. So I went up onto this Mesa Mountain. The sun was setting. It was the most beautiful landscape, very prehistoric. And I just went into meditation and there she was in her baby pink T-shirt. And this time, because it was a different, before I was sort of in that half sleep, whereas this time I was in meditation and then I can talk to them in meditation, mm. in, in a way, communicate, mm. I suppose. If I was to say it out loud, I'd shift out of that, rather like a radio, you know, you mm. shift off the mark. But in your head, and I just said to her, Tara, you've got to be with mum because she really needs you. Mm. And she just went, Santa, and with her all the time, silly. <laughs> just like that. And was roaring with laughter. And we had this sort of wonderful moment. And I imagined myself just getting up and putting my arms around her. And I wasn't able to say goodbye when she died. It was mm. totally unexpected. In fact, when I arrived at her apartment, thinking that she'd just you know, she was unconscious because that's what I'd been told. I got to the door of her apartment and there was a policeman standing there with his arms folded. And I said, I, I'm Tara's sister. I've come to you know see her. And he goes, sorry, ma'am, she's already passed. <gasps> that's how I and found out. Found mm. Sorry, ma'am, she's already passed. I mean, I can't get my head around that even now. Mm. It was just so final to think she's through the door. I'm not allowed to go and see her. I'm sitting on the steps here outside her apartment. She's in there mm. and I can't even go in. Mm. What an awful thing to say. And yeah. she's dead. And yeah. she's dead. She's gone. She's dead. I couldn't get my head around it. It yeah. was so extraordinary. But then see her in spirit twice. And I've had some amazing moments. I mean, I was sitting in the kitchen with the children talking about her and all the lights went out. Right. And I said, thank you, Tara. Acknowledge that you're here. And the lights went on again. Well, the children is like, got to go and tell Granny, got to go and tell Granny. So <laughs> ran through the garden to Granny's house. It, just, Tara's just been to the kitchen. So um, does your does your mum not feel her when she's around? Yes, or she does. She does. Right. And she connects with her through music. Right. So when mum's feeling really low, it's the same pieces of music. And funnily enough, she was at the hairdresser. And they were <laughs> always, both, the, always, always at the hairdresser. <laughs> she was at the hairdresser. And she was talking to the hairdresser about my godfather, who's one of her closest friend who just died mm. and he was called Miguel Steiner and mum was thinking well do you think Tara and Miguel are in spirit together so when she gets into the car Tara's theme from Gone with the Wind starts playing mm. and but it's a different arrangement my mother's never heard it before and at the end the guy says oh this is Gone with the Wind Tara's theme by somebody Steiner <gasps> Gosh. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. And so my mother thought, okay, well, that's been answered directly. Well, yeah. How you can't get more direct than yeah. that. Absolutely. And then I had another occasion where I went to a fantastic psychic called Tony Stockwell. He's a medium. Yeah. And Tara came through, and that was pretty wonderful. But he said, she's going to appear to you as a hummingbird. She's going to send you a hummingbird just to let you know that she's close. Keep your eye out. Well, of course, there are no hummingbirds in the UK. Mm. So I go to Switzerland skiing, and on my birthday... I'm with my parents, my uncle and aunt, and I get a text from a friend in Argentina saying, happy birthday, look what's just flown into my garden, and a video short clip of a hummingbird. Wow. I know. So those sort of things happen all the time, mm. and actually they happen to many people mm. because I get loads of emails people from people. Yeah, yeah. Or a lot of people don't connect don't it and don't realise. Or they think it's too much of a coincidence. Yes, it can't, it's just yeah. coincidence. Yes, but yeah, how much think, more? Yeah. You know, what else can they do? Yeah, yeah. I know. It's interesting that you talk about seeing Tara because we had Ben Goldsmith on the podcast the other day. And of course, he lost his daughter mm. very suddenly and very tragically. And he's also absolutely convinced that he connects yes, with her, isn't yes, he? Yes, yes, yes. Well, obviously, you, you and I and you actually went to the London College of Psychic Studies and we all know that that really took off during 
the end of the First World War when people were desperate to see their fathers, brothers, lovers and sons. And I wondered whether it's a good way to help you grieve than um, I mean, I, I think, being shut off to something I like think that's that. a very good point. I mean, I felt very close to my grandmother. And when she died, which was a long time ago, 30 years ago now, I sort of refused to think of her as dead. I just thought of her as in a different place. Mm. Whenever I have any sort of psychic reading or my tarot done or anything, they always say there's a woman very close watching over you, sends you love. I've never seen her, but I've heard her. I mean, you know, she was my grandmother, so it's not as close as a sister, actually. But I think that it really helps when people die to think of them as still there, but just not in the same place. Mm. It's almost like you just can't see, they're just in a different room Mm. and you just can't get into that room. Yes, exactly. I mean, even if it wasn't true, you know, if I suddenly wake up Mm. or if I don't wake up after I die, you know, and I sleep for eternity, the fact that I've had this lovely belief Mm. all through my life has made it a lot Mm. easier. Mm. So does it really matter? Mm. So people who don't believe in it, I don't think it really matters whether it's true or isn't true. I personally believe in it, but it's a much nicer way to live Mm. when you lose somebody to imagine Mm. that they're still around and it helped me enormously with the grieving process to know that she's around I mean it's not the same as having the person here and being Mm. able to put your arms around them etc so you don't it doesn't take the grief away Mm. but it certainly gives you comfort Mm. Mm. and I also think that the study of this was a the Victorians did it extremely seriously and I think you know throughout various eras, it's become fashionable or not fashionable. Mm. And I think now people are accepting of it much more than they were, say, 10 or 15 years ago. Mm. And I think people are much more interested in that subject. Funnily enough, I think the internet has changed things a little bit because I always think it's very strange the way that people die and yet they remain... Oh, online. Online. <laughs> yes, we're not online. Oh, but and, yes. And, and yes, to yes. me, that slightly mirrors how I think it works. Yes, I don't like that. Though. No, I don't like yeah. that either. But the point is, is that just you because can't get rid of them unless you just know all their passwords dead, and stuff. Just because you're dead doesn't mean to yeah. say you don't exist anymore. Yeah. You still exist. Your in, footprint is yes, still there. Tara's Twitter account is still up. Oh, no. Is it? Really? Yes. Yeah. I think all her stuff is still up and who knows how to take it down. Mm. I don't know any of her passwords. Yeah. <gasps> yeah. That's so weird, isn't it? Yeah. The weirdest thing is, I mean, it really is like somebody just steps out of their life and leaves everything. You think, mm. oh, no, I'm much too busy to die. You know, I've got so much to do. Yes. And yet you kind of just step out and everything is left. And I got her computer. You know, I could go into her computer and see all her emails and what she'd just been doing. And, and it was really weird, mm. you, you know, that this person just stepped out and left everything as it was. Mm. It was it was a very odd experience. Um, It was the first real loss that I'd had apart from the odd friend or mm. grandparents to have somebody that close dying it mm. was a very weird thing but I, I sound like I'm the only person who's ever experienced it <laughs> we that's the thing also as we grow older we're all going mm. to experience loss yes. all of us yes. so we all have that in common don't mm. we and what about spirits that you don't know that are not your sister yeah, how bothersome I mean, are they have you have you had many experiences <laughs> loads. there oh yeah. loads loads so I used to see people in my room all the time walking around and hearing voices as a child and mm. I thought it was normal I thought everybody saw that but I was very frightened I'd turn on the light. And I think turning on the light meant that they'd go mm. because then I wouldn't see them. Mm. I didn't realise that actually, of course, they were still there. Mm. It was just like suddenly putting the sun in the sky and not seeing the stars. Yeah. And then I started meditating with an amazing woman called Susan Dabbs, who's a psychic media healer. And she taught me through meditation, psychometry, all these things, how to 
see them much more clearly and really honing my psychic ability, actually. Mm. And the funny thing is that anyone can do it. We're yeah. all, it's our natural state. It's what we should be mm. doing. But if I tell you to focus very hard on your right hand, you don't even know your left hand is there. Mm. We're so focused on our physical lives that we don't think about what we don't see because we're where our focus is mm. so anyone can learn how to do it mm. i mean have you ever encountered anything malevolent in your travels no touch wood i haven't i've had loads of sort of people walking around my room that have frightened me but nobody who has mm. been actually nasty or I mean, you talk to mediums like Susan Dabbs mm. and they've had plenty mm. and they've moved spirits on who are stuck or don't want yes. to go. I mean, there's a very interesting book and I'm going to try and remember her name. I think somebody Williamson who wrote Ghosts and Earthbound Spirits or something like that. And she tells you the difference between them because a ghost, when people say Anne Boleyn stalking the corridors of the Tower of London, mm. that's not Anne Boleyn. That's an energy that's like a sort of repeating itself like a two-dimensional film. Like a video sort of, playing. Yes, it's yeah. just an energy that's replaying. Or, you yeah. know, you can hear the Battle of the Somme if you're nearby on a windy night or mm. whatever. That's just an echo. Whereas a spirit is actually you, the, the soul, the, mm. the, the it's a body, but it's not as dense. And that spirits come back to because they love us or because they're stuck and you know, mm. a lot of spirits can't move on because mm. of the traumatic nature of their deaths or they don't want to move on because they love too much or hate too much or too attached. Apparently also spirits sometimes don't move on because they think that the light they're seeing is the devil luring them to oh. hell. Oh dear, so really? sometimes it, you know, they actually don't want to move on because they're frightened of it. Mm. Do you think that sometimes they just don't know that they're dead? Yes, that happens a lot, yes. apparently. Yeah. They don't know that they're dead. Yeah. Oh, God, I've read some wonderful books about that. Have you? Yeah, where spirits don't know that they're dead and these psychics have to sort of try Tell and convince them. them. And they're saying, no, I'm not dead. Well, You're was, dead. Yeah. You're the ghost. Yeah. That was that wonderful film, wasn't it? What was oh, it The Others. Yes, where they did. The, they didn't. The Others. The others also the, yes, the sh- Bruce Willis. Bruce Willis. Yes. I Can See Dead People. Yes, yes. That one. Yes, yes. I want what it's called now. Such a good film. Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. That is such a good. Yes. Love those movies. But, but how dangerous are things like Ghosts we... and Earthbound Spirits? That's what it's called. And the woman is called Linda Williamson. Oh. That's right. And that is, if you want to know about spirits and also how to connect with them, yeah. that's a very good how, book. How dangerous are things like sort of Ouija boards and things? I mean, I've always been told that very. the lower astral is playing yeah. around with you. And when you think you've got Elvis, you haven't. No, you've just got yeah. You have or Marilyn Monroe or yeah. you've got some sort of drug dealer who's who's yes. passed over and has yes. basically come down to wreck so I your think evening. You always have to remember that the law of attraction is the most powerful law in the universe. So like attracts like. So if you go in with your Ouija board with a group of friends and you're drinking too much, your intention is to play. So you're going to get spirits who also want to play. If you go in and you bless the room and you light your candle and you ask your guides to come close and you send out thoughts of love and things like that, then you're probably more likely to get an honest, authentic reading. But I think your attitude is absolutely key in any spiritual work. Right. Okay. And tell us about the spirits in your new book. Ooh, so tell us about new your new book. book. In fact. Hmm. So Wait for Me is based on a true story. A friend of mine called Simon Jacobs, who I've known all my life, and I actually knew his story for years. And it wasn't until 2020 when he rang me up and said, I think you should write my story. I don't ever write anyone else's mm. story. Uh, so my instinct is always to go, no, 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 you write your own story. Yeah. But actually, it was so extraordinary, his story, which is about reincarnation. Mm. I won't spoil the story, but basically, he has nightmares as a child of being in a battle scene. And he then later researches through a psychic regression and 
research, he discovers who he was in his past life. Right. And I've weaved a novel around it. So there's a spiritual thread, but the novel is fiction. But his story is really quite an extraordinary one. And you do kind of think, well, maybe some of us come back. Mm. Have you ever done past life regression? And? I discovered two lives in one regression, 1700s in Yorkshire and the 1800s in Spain. I died young in both, leaving two children and was quite unhappy in both. And I wasn't Marilyn Monroe. No, or Bodicea. Or Bodicea or or Catherine the Great or anyone like that. And I didn't even get a name or anything, so I couldn't even research it. The only thing is that I know the sort of street going on a hill Mm. with the shop signs all coming out of the windows looked to me like it was somewhere like Yorkshire. Mm. So that's why I thought Yorkshire... How how did you do it? Because I've done a past life transgression. Oh, I was some boring old woman, but it was really shocking. I mean, I'll definitely be a tax inspector or something. (laughs) I had this terrible thing. You had to look into a mirror for... And then it was a meditation with a candle underneath your face and stare. I did London College of Psychics. And you stare into the mirror until you basically, you're in some sort of trance. And then my face transmogrified into this sort of middle-aged sort of woman with no eyebrows, not dissimilar to how I look now, actually, (laughs) uh, with the hair scraped back, something like a sort of, like in the medieval period. And it was so shocking that I bounced away from the wall and went <gasps> like that. And my teacher tapped me on the back and went, recognise yourself, did you? And it was like, whoa, I really did. It was quite something. That's, that's an interesting. I was taken into a meditation where you go into a temple and you walk down steps. Oh, OK. They I've count done that the steps, before, 20 yeah. steps, and you, mm. literally 19, 18. Yes. And it's very slow. And then yeah. you go to corridor, more steps. Blah, blah, blah. And then at the end, you open a door and what do you see? Mm. The funny thing is that it's like triggering memories. Nothing feels very strange. Everything feels very familiar. And although I looked in a mirror and saw myself in both of them, mm. I still felt like me. But I had a relationship when I was 21 for three years with a man who was very, very controlling. And I became a very mousy, quiet, beige little person Mm. when I was... And that was me. Mm. I'm not like that now, Mm. but that was me then. So actually, it's not really surprising that in those two lives, Mm. I was different Mm. to how I am now. But I still feel that that was just, that was me. Mm. Because actually, our personalities, what are they? Maybe the whole point of this... malleable. Maybe the whole Mm. point of this life is to get out of that mousy phase and to become fabulous Santa. To stamp on the mouse. In her pink dress. Yes. Yes. That's probably true. To get rid of the mouse. This is your lesson. This is your lesson this time round. To be outspoken and to write articles for the Daily Mail. Yes. (laughs) And to give podcasts with Sarah Vine, Imogen Edwards-Jones and Speak my truth. Yes. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yes. God. <laughs> Changes all the time. Can be anything you want these days, yeah. I think. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you, Santa. Well, it's a pleasure. It's been lovely talking to you. Well, two. Brilliant stories. Yes, brilliant. <laughs> and good luck with your book, by the way. Yes, that was Santa Montefiore. We'll put a link to her website and book in the show notes. Our next guest is psychiatrist Dr. Max Pemberton and the Daily Mail's resident doctor who wrote a very good piece in response to Santa Montefiore's piece about seeing ghosts of her sister, explaining that actually they're not ghosts, they're sort of hallucinations. Mm. Anyway, so we thought we'd get Max on to talk about it. Thank you for joining us, Dr. Max. Can you expand on all of this? Because Imogen and I are terrible believers in ghosts. Yes, we're pro-spirit. We don't think we have any hallucinations at all. We're perfectly sane. I I suppose I should start off by saying that actually I come at this very kind of open-minded. I'm a scientist. I trained in science. I'm an atheist. I don't Mm. believe in spirits. And science does provide us with an explanation for this phenomena. However, having said that, 
I think people can interpret experiences mm-hmm. exactly however they want to. And if I want to call it a bereavement hallucination and someone else wants to call it a spirit, to me, it's whatever makes that person feel comfortable and happy. And particularly when it comes to grief and bereavement, whatever helps them come to some kind of resolution and inner peace. Mm. So even though we're maybe very different in our view of what might be causing this experience, this phenomena, actually, I'm sure we'll probably agree that actually whatever is actually the cause, Mm. it kind of doesn't really matter in a way. It's actually the fact that this phenomena often makes people feel very calm and at peace at a time when they're really, really often quite desperate and desolate. And well, in fact, we had Ben Goldsmith on who was talking about the death of his daughter and Santa's talking about the death of her sister. Mm. So just from a scientist's point of view, from a sort of biochemical point of view, what happens to people when they have sudden death and grief? What is the process? One of the reasons why I wanted to write about this was because I've had so many patients over the years come to me and often patients that I've maybe known for quite a long time. Because I get within mental health, we get to work with patients often for years and years. Mm. And I often know them incredibly well. Like I even now I know some of their phone numbers and their postcodes. And they'll often come quite sort of quite quietly and sort of say, actually, Max, can I talk about something? And they will then explain that they're having these experiences and that often they're quite worried and they feel they can't really talk about it mm. to other people because people will either maybe sort of say, oh, yes, well, I've had it. But actually, I think their concern is people are going to sit and think, we've gone loopy. You've clearly mm. just lost your mind. And immediately dismiss them. And yet for them, it's very real and they don't understand it. And so they'll often come to me and say, look, basically, Max, have I lost my mind? Have, have I gone mad? And so I was really pleased, actually, that Santa wrote about this, even though her interpretation of what it might be is maybe different from mine. Mm. As I say, it doesn't really matter. And what I was pleased about was that people who might be having this, because we know it's incredibly common, will then feel, oh, okay, this is actually part of a normal experience for somebody who's lost someone very, very close to them. Whatever the explanation we've decided to reach, it's not evidence that I've lost my mind in any way. It's not unusual. It's not particularly strange. So certainly from a psychiatry point of view, mental health point of view, grief is this extraordinarily complex process that we have to go through. Mm. Various people have tried to sort of break it down into nice, easy, digestible parts. Mm. But actually... Anyone who's experienced really profound grief or has worked with people with really profound grief knows that it's actually very messy as well and that it's not linear. People don't go through like a nice, easy process, that there are some days when things seem to be going really well, other days when things just appear to be collapsing around them. Mm. And that process, that psychological phenomena where we're trying to come to terms with something, the loss, from the psychology point of view, it's this idea that What you're trying to do, your brain is trying to do is integrate this idea of the person is no longer there, but they're still within me. Mm. And that actually, from a psychology point of view, is quite complicated. It's quite a complicated process. So part of the explanation around what is happening in these bereavement hallucinations or post-grief hallucinations, as it's sometimes called, is that at times your brain almost kind of gets a bit run away with it with the process and it kind of is splitting off a bit too quickly and then suddenly you turn around and think but actually I still really love this person I feel like they should be here and in in a way it's almost like the brain is kind of trying to calm itself down and say look it's okay we're going through a process maybe we speed it up a bit too fast but that's okay look they're still really here and it's a way of it's almost like a symbolic way of kind of saying they're still with you So that's one explanation. There is another explanation as well. There's lots of different models and ways of looking at it, Mm. of this kind of idea of wish fulfillment. And I love the idea that the brain is this extraordinary, powerful, amazing Mm. thing 
that if you wish for something, it will come. Mm. And in a way, it's the fact of the brain going, look, you're having a dreadful time and this is what you desperately, desperately, desperately want. And we're going to give it to you yeah. just for a little bit. So this is my issue with the term hallucination, which doctors use. But actually, technically, it's not really a hallucination in the true sense. The person is not psychotic, which mm. is this kind of where you've had a loosening connection with reality. You see things, you hear things and stuff, and you don't know what's real and what's not real. Because actually, most of the people who experience this know they're still in the moment. They've still got a grip on reality. And it's a very clearly, it's just on one, one plane. It's just in one area. So it's just a sort of projection, really. A yeah. psychological projection. Or, or the brain's clever way of making connections between yeah. things. Because we were talking earlier about, you know, the names being put together so yes. with the, you know, the composer. and. Yes. The, so, well, that's the other yeah. thing I was going to ask you. Was in Santa's piece, she talks about the fact that her sister appeared to her wearing a certain T-shirt. Mm. And then when she spoke to her mother and said, I saw Tara and she was wearing this pink T-shirt and her mother said, oh, yes, that's the T-shirt we buried her in. Mm. So that would tend to sort of reinforce the notion that there's something sort of supernatural going on. Mm. But I mean, I suppose, I don't know, I suppose. How do you explain that? How do you explain that, well, Dr. Uh, Max? Well, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose <laughs> I would say. I would say, you know, there's coincidences and that, yeah. and that actually, you know, people tend to be buried, like to take that example, people tend to be buried in things that are meaningful to them and so on yeah. and so on. Therefore, mm. you know, I suppose there's lots of other explanations. And we are desperate when we have lost somebody, we are desperate to find meaning. Yeah. And we are desperate to find connections. And I think that's okay. And mm. I have had, you know, honestly, over the time, it breaks my heart that some of the stories and some of the people that I've seen with this, you know, I remember this elderly man in A&E who'd had a heart attack and he wouldn't go home. Mm. And I wrote about this in my piece. And in the end, they were like, well, one of my, it's actually a friend of mine um, who I've known for years and years, said, look, would you go and speak to him? Because he, he needs to come in, but he was determined to go home and see his wife. And I was looking at the notes going, he's a widower, I don't understand. And he'd been married for 50 years and his wife had recently died. And he wanted to go home because she was visiting him every evening. And he was oh really goodness. worried that if he didn't go home, he would, A, wouldn't see her, and B, she might not keep coming. She might think he'd left. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And actually, in the end, we reconciled it by me saying, you know, he, he was sort of laughing and saying, he, was, he used to be in the army, and he was mm. this kind of person, you obviously never, no one's ever told him what to do. He's very mm. like, sort of, he was like a, gen, a general that sort of, you know, determined mm. um, to sort of do what he wanted to. And so we had to kind of find a very nice way to kind of get him on board. And I was saying, you know, what would your wife think, though, if she realised you had jeopardised your health, mm. For the fact of just seeing her, I think she'd be very annoyed. And he was like, you're right, you know, she was a real Harridan and all this kind of <laughs> And so he was like, okay, then I'll stay. <laughs> and but it's sort of heartbreaking. You sort of, when you listen to this story, you know, I heard this man and I thought he's got very limited avenues and ways of expressing his grief. Yet yeah, his world has utterly, utterly collapsed. Yeah. And how heartbreaking. And do you know what? If he thinks it's a ghost, if he thinks it's a spirit, I don't care. Good luck to you. All it means is that he was happy. But people do see spirits that have nothing to do with them. Yeah. Obviously, you can explain the idea of acute grief and things like that. But I mean, how do you explain people seeing spirits that have got absolutely nothing to do with them at all? Really good question. I think it's something probably quite different. So this is a phenomena that we know, is, and actually it's incredibly common, 30 to 50% of people who've lost their spouse will see them or feel mm. them or sense them in some way. Mm. And we can kind of explain it as this kind of acute grief reaction and so on and so on. We do know that certain people have a more open kind of personality traits for kind of these unusual experiences. Yeah. So we know about 5% of the population hear voices. Mm. 
aside from being psychotic, nothing to do with them having a psychotic illness, like schizophrenia or bipolar, 5%, the general population, if you just ask them, will say, yes, I hear voices. Now, some people will say that that is God, God speaking mm. to them. And actually, if you look in church populations, it's even higher. Mm. I don't believe in God. So yeah. for me, it's like, well, these people are probably more suggestible. They're probably more open-minded. They have a belief structure, which therefore the brain kind of then feeds into and mm. and it sort of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy almost. Mm. I do remember when I was on call, just very briefly, I was on call a couple of years ago and it was very late at night and I just watched a program called Medium, which was yes. absolutely petrifying. I was so scared. And it was in this <laughs> old Victorian workhouse. And I sat there and I'm not very scared because at two in the morning and I sat thinking, oh my God, I'm actually petrified. And I went outside at the time I smoked and I went outside for a cigarette. And as I stood there, it looked out onto St Pancras old church i don't know if you know it in the back of uh, where it's beautiful very beautiful. spooky victorian mm. and yeah, as i stood yeah. there i was sitting there smoking and i saw this white face <gasps> appear from above from above a, a gravestone and i genuinely honestly i think it was the most scary experience and i sat there and i thought oh my god i'm seeing a ghost i can't it was really far off and i thought i'm seeing a ghost and it was through these raw iron railings that i was looking through i thought i've seen a ghost and i thought do you know what this is that moment where if i don't find out what's happening I will forever think I've seen a ghost and this is going to really make me question my life. So I walked all the way around, <gasps> walked into the pancreas. It was all it was all kind of like this. The, the, the gates are quite low. So I hopped over the gates and I was walking through and I was like, this is that moment in a horror movie where everyone is going, why are you doing that? And all the zombies come. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and yeah, as I walked there and I was walking through and I very sort of like prim and proper and I was going, this is Dr. Pemberton, come out immediately. <laughs> And lo and behold, I'm a doctor. You yeah, know exactly. Ghost. And lo and behold, I, honestly, I, my heart was pumping in my chest so much. Two of these ghosts appeared. What? And then a woman appeared with an American accent. She said, "Gee, I'm really sorry. Uh, where, uh, are we in trouble?" And I said, "Well," uh, and I said, I, at the time, I was like, uh, "St Pancras." I said, "I'm from St Pancras. Where are you from?" And they went, "We're from St Martins." And I was like, what are you doing here immediately? Come forward. And they came over, there was two people were dressed as ghosts. One of them was the producer. They were doing a film and they're from St. Martin's College. Oh, oh brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> and I was like, you're chest laughing, get out. That's and you've given story. me a heart attack. I'm clapping that story. That is such a good story. Okay. So you're still the pragmatist yes, then. Exactly. I yes, I love that story. I've often, because I, I suffer from, I don't suffer from, I have lucid dreaming which you'll know is yeah. kind of a weird condition where... What is lucid dreaming? Oh, can you explain it probably better than well, me? Well, so actually, I was actually going to very... I didn't know how much is time we had. Is it connected? That's the yes, it's exactly, ask. exactly. Yeah. So actually, we know there's lots of different bits to the brain and that as, particularly as you're going to sleep or waking up, different bits are waking up at different times and that can make people much more susceptible to hearing and seeing things. So I have it as well. There are two things called hypnopompic and hypnagogic hallucinations. Now, hypnopompic is as you wake up and hypnagogic is as you go to sleep. And mm. I have hypnagogic quite often where I suddenly am just dozing off and I think I hear my name being called. Oh. Yeah, I get that all the time. Very common. And it's hypnagogic yeah. and massive. The vast majority of the population have it at least some mm. of the time. And we know it's actually just different bits of the brain kind of turning off at different times. Mm. The sort of stimulatory bit is still awake when the other bits are kind of switching off. And so it just kind of overexcites itself. Really, really common. And I think that some of these phenomena, actually, when we understand more about the brain, which we certainly mm. understand a lot about, we will kind of probably explain it. For me, particularly the kind of bereavement hallucinations, for me, what I like about it, why I think they're 
quite touching is that to me it shows how powerful the brain is but also how strong the human love is mm-hmm. and and that is the thing that I always wanted to hold on to when I used to talk to the patients I used to encourage them to say look my version of events is this if you go and speak to a priest they'll tell you something else if you speak to a spiritualist they'll tell you something else but I think we would all agree that actually at the core of this is this extraordinarily human emotion that's unique amongst all the animals this kind of connection that we have with one another and this kind of enduring goes past life and death mm. and this sense of love. And is that, maybe mm. that can be the extraordinary thing, the inexplicable mm. thing, the thing that we just can't understand. I presume you've been at the bedside of somebody who's passed, who's yeah, died. Do you not notice a significant moment between life and death? Because there is supposed to be that moment when the spirit leaves the body. And I remember when my father died that I was told I should go and open the window to let the spirit out of the bedroom, his hospital room. But, I mean, presumably as a doctor, you've been there and watched that transition between life and death. Do you not think there is something significant that happens at that point that you have noticed? So I used to work in palliative care and I used to work in paediatric palliative care. So children who had terminal illnesses and would then die. Mm. Um, and they were mainly the ones I worked in was a particular thing called sarcoma, which is a type of cancer mm. um, of kind of like bones and, and connective tissue. And it was many teenagers. And I have to say, and I, I mean, it was quite traumatic and quite upsetting. Gosh, yeah. Maybe not as much as you would think, actually, because there was also this sense of like, right, screw it. We don't have very long. You know, you've got six weeks. Yes. Let's have yeah. fun. You know, we've yeah. got to be moping around, but actually, <laughs> let's make the most yeah. of it. <laughs> let's yeah. try and prank call Beyonce. You know, we just kind of do kind of fun <laughs> things all the time. Yeah. So in a way, it was kind of fun and brilliant. But there was that moment where it didn't got to the end. Mm. And I desperately, desperately used to, at that point, used to sit and think, I want there to be something for these teenagers Mm. because actually I've lived twice as long more than that than these people it's like it seems really inherently unfair Mm. it just seemed to me and I remember I was working at UCH and I used to cross over Euston Road um my office was on the other side of Euston Road and I used to kind of dart amongst the traffic and not in a careless way but I used to think do you know if I did get knocked over just now I've still lived more, significantly more than any of those people out there are ever going to. It seems really unfair. And I want there to be a reason that this is unfair. Like I I want there to be some purpose, Mm. some bigger thing. And I have to say, even though I wanted it, it doesn't mean that I think it's still true. Right. And yes, and so I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of people die. Sometimes it's quite hard to tell if they're dead, to be honest. Oh, okay. Sometimes, particularly older people when they're sort of dying and it takes a long time. And actually, I mean, there was a thing where you were a junior doctor, you sort of famously sort of not quite sure because you have to say whether or not they're dead mm. and sign a form and stuff. And you're not really sure. So you'd like go off, have a cup of tea, come back. And if rigor mortis is set in, you can sign the form. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's really quite yeah. hard. But was, and, there, and certainly there are other times when it's, it's much more obvious. It just sort of depends mm. on the person, really. Definitely there is a sense... To, I think eventually you you do get sense the person isn't there anymore. It's a shell, mm. and it, we can kind of think about it in lots of different ways. And you know, maybe even when we're asleep, our muscles are still tense. There's still stuff going yeah. on, still biological processes. And it, in a way, and that was actually one of the things that used to help me when I did palliative care. You'd be like, whatever's happened, whatever this explanation is, whatever is actually going on in life, and I don't understand it really. Even though I like to think science explains it, it doesn't really. Nothing does. They've gone. They're not here mm. anymore. So wherever they are, I know they're not here. So it's yeah. just me getting worried about it and getting stressed about it in this moment here in this room because they aren't here anymore. And you can definitely tell, I would say, yeah. whatever that is, you know, we can argue it physiologically, 
psychologically, whatever, they do leave, you're right. I've never experienced it as like quite such a sudden transition that some people, I think, like to think mm. it is. Well, it's supposed to be, doesn't the soul supposed to weigh five grams or something? The body is five grams lighter after death. Yeah. I mean, that's what I've read. I don't know if it's true. <laughs> I'm not sure. I mean, I've also heard that. I think, again, it's a, I, I love the idea. All of this, I love the idea of, mm. and as I say, you know, I sort of see people, I tend to see people in absolute extremists. You know, when I work in A&E, like tomorrow, tomorrow night, over the weekend, I'm working in A&E uh, all night. And people come in and they have had horrific things happen to them. Sometimes the worst moments of their life and you were there. Mm. And at those moments, I just sit there thinking, do you know what? I don't care. I couldn't care less what you think. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, it's fine with me. And lots of these things, like, you know, this is people's belief systems are more powerful than any medication I'm going to be able to give them. Mm. Whatever makes people feel comfortable who am I to take that away from them? Mm. And I used to say the same things that often you'd be asked, you know, you believe of particular medical palliative care. And I'd be like, you've just lost your 13 year old daughter. Do you know what? Oh, you it believe whatever awesome. you want. Mm. It doesn't matter yeah. what I think or what anybody whatever else thinks, you need. whatever mm. you need. And that's mm. how I feel with lots of these things. Yeah. And I think lots of doctors really on the front line, we might adhere to the science stuff, but when push comes to shove, yeah. it's whatever makes people happy because that's actually the all matters. I suppose it's a question of consciousness, really, isn't it? It's mm. just what, what is consciousness and does it die when the carbon life form dies? Well, I should bloody hope so. Well, <laughs> I mean, no, but I mean, you don't think it does, whereas well, Max well, does. Well, oh, I suppose oh, I see what you mean, yes. Yeah. Can the consciousness exist outside a living brain is the question mm. we're trying to find the answer to. Mm. I mean, I feel, <laughs> I feel that is an extraordinarily complicated that's one. That's above my pay that, grade. That's definitely answer. above my pay grade. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is above your pay grade. Max. I'll ask lots of the drunks in A&E on Friday and see what they say. Yeah, ask them. Yes. Thank you so much. That was really interesting. Thank you. Thank and, you. And, and I hope you don't see any ghosts this weekend. So do I. Fingers crossed. <laughs> you never Thank know. you. Bye. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit mailplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. If you would like to get in touch, tweet us, uh, tweet me rather, at Westminster Wag or send a carrier pigeon to social media free Imogen. <laughs> and you've been listening to the Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine. Thank you for listening. <laughs> <laughs>